Hello, friends. This is Dr. Randy Lane Bunch. Thanks for tuning into the broadcast today. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can go to our website at connectingpc.org. If you'd like to know more about our international digital outreach ministry, Connecting Point Communications, you can go to my personal website at randylanebunch.org. Under the media link, you'll find an abundance of resources free and available to you 24-7. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to help us carry the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, you can simply go to randylanebunch.org backslash donate. God bless you and thanks for listening. Here it says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to talk, like I said, about leveling up. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about leveling up in our lives, spiritually speaking. Like I said, I just got back from about a three-day trip to Flagstaff, Arizona, where I attended for the very first time um, uh, something called um, Overland Expo West. They have an Overland Expo East. They probably have a North and a South for all I know. But anyway, this is the largest off-road expo uh, in the world. And so people come from all over the country. There was tens of thousands of people there. It was held in a, um, I can't remember the name of the park, but uh, Tudhill. Tudhill, uh, I think, I don't know, park or whatever, national park, whatever it was. Large camping area. And there were literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of vendors, exhibitions, classes being held, all on off-roading, overlanding, that kind of thing. And you can imagine that every vendor that had anything to do with Jeeps, and I found out what's really kind of cool, I told Maria, I said, uh, even more so than Jeeps, Toyota Tacomas were probably the number one vehicle for off-roading that were demonstrated there. So I got two of the best. I got a Jeep and a Tacoma, so we're good to go. Um, but I say all that to say that every kind of upgrade or modification to your overland vehicle was represented there. You had wheels, you had tires, you had roof racks, you had rooftop tents, radio systems, power systems. If it's made for a Jeep or for a Tacoma or any other off-road vehicle, it was represented in spades there. Now, I've mentioned that to say this. When I first got my Jeep, I naively said, you know, I'm just going to leave it stock. I'm just going to leave it the way it is. I'm not going to do any modifications. I think Jeeps are cool just the way they are. Well, that was a novice speaking, because as I began to do more off-roading, I began to realize that there are a lot of trails that I can't access with my Jeep being the way that it is. And so for, I don't know, about the last six months now, I've been talking to a four-wheel parts store in Bakersfield about getting about a three-and-a-half-inch lift. So that's on the docket to do, and, you know, saving up, getting ready to do that. So I'll have more ground clearance, you know, I'll have, you know, just more... It'll, it'll level my Jeep up, and that's what I'm talking about. Because there are some obstacles, some trails I can't access, some obstacles I can't overcome with my Jeep the way it is. And I think sometimes in the life of the believer, we run into obstacles or can't access places God wants us to go simply because we have not leveled up. 
Now, that term leveling up comes from the gaming world. I, you know, I grew up uh, playing video games. You know, I remember, some of us remember Pong when it first came out. It was just a little line on either side of the television and a dot that went back and forth. And we could actually manipulate that. We thought, man, we have arrived at technology. That's amazing to me that back in the day, what, the 1900s, they were getting close to patent offices because they thought that every invention that could be invented had already been invented. And they knew nothing about the technological and information age and the explosion of knowledge we would have in these days. But today we have virtual reality. Reality, we have you know 3D imaging. We have all this stuff that's actually quite terrifying when you think about the different applications it can be made. But of course, the gaming world has benefited greatly for that. So in the gaming world, and I know this because I have four kids, and that's one of the quality ways I spend time with them: Xbox, PlayStation, all that kind of stuff, Nintendo, all the above. And usually when you're playing a game like that, whether it's an adventure game or what they call a first-person shooter game, you have varying levels of difficulty depending on, number one, the difficulty level you set at the beginning of the game, and how far in the game you go. And generally, at, at every level, you have a certain amount of challenges you have to face, and at the end of that level, to progress to the next, you have to fight the primary antagonist of that level, which is typically called a boss. And that boss is bad. I mean, when you first meet up with him, uh, I've, been in, I've been in rooms where suddenly the boss appears and he kills me in two seconds, literally. And so the only way to defeat that boss is to level up. And the way you do that is by gaining life and experience points by continuing to play the game. There have been some bosses I have probably fought a hundred times before I finally beat him. But you know, if you just keep at it, keep gaining experience and strength and all that kind of skill, your skill level, you'll eventually overcome it. Well, behold, I show you a parable. I think this is a great analogy of the times in which we live. I think there are a lot of believers today that are succumbing to the challenges of our current cultural moment, being overwhelmed and failing in life because of a failure to level up. And today, if ever there was a time to up our game, to level up, it's, it's now. Jesus spoke of a time where he said in Matthew twenty four twelve, and because of lawlessness, yeah, right. uh, he said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's right. What does that mean? It means that we're in danger of experiencing apathy, indifference, and cynicism yeah. because of all the stuff we see. Yeah. You know, we see some of the absolute nonsensical stuff that's going on in our world. We roll our eyes and we think, man, if they want to go to hell that bad, let's just let them. And if we're not careful, that sense of cynicism and apathy and indifference can kind of creep into our hearts. We have to guard against it because we are God's only solution to the poisons of this world. We're to be light in the darkness. We're to be salt and light in a world that otherwise would be quickly tainted and spoiled. God has called us to be difference makers in our world. And of course, this attack is not just something that Satan is launching against the world. There are specific attacks that the devil is launching against the church itself. In 1 Timothy 4.1, I'll just read it to you. It's with one verse. But we've talked about it a number of times before. It says, now the Spirit expressly says. Now think about it. Paul is saying, this is what the Holy Ghost is saying very clearly. That's what that means. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, that's our time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now I'm not trying to make a case for one saved or always saved or the other, but you can't depart from the building unless you're in the building. So this is talking about believers departing from, walking away from the faith. And right now, there are masses of what we call deconversion stories. People that, well, I was once a Christian, even some people who are, you know, professed leaders in the church, that are now saying, I've lost my faith, I'm walking away, oftentimes because they're succumbing to the cultural pressure that's being placed upon You don't want to be one of those narrow-minded, bigoted Christians, do you, that see only truth one way. And because of that kind of pressure, a lot are kind of recanting on their faith, some even leaving their wives and saying, well, you know, I'm just being true to the real me now, some of them even going over into, you know, uh, illicit relationships, you know, homosexual relationships, whatever else, leaving their families because, you know, now I've just got to be honest to who I was. So the question is, 
Were these really believers or were they just make-believers? And one thing we can say for certain, whatever their case was before that happened, they certainly weren't rooted believers. Because if they were rooted, they would have stood the storm. You know, some things can have an appearance of looking rooted and strong and not be. And we all know that's true. I remember years ago, I've shared the story before, I think, but uh, I was going to do a story on, I wanted to have a good illustration, example of strength. And I've always loved oak trees, and particularly going over to Pastor Robles and seeing those beautiful oak trees come out of the vineyards, I thought, what a beautiful symbol of strength. And so that's what I was going to use. But then I read an article about the oak trees in England, where the water is so, so close to the surface that the oak trees never put down deep roots, and so they're literally blown over by a little wind. And I thought, well, so much for the mighty oak. And I'm sure other places, oak trees are stronger than that. Hopefully Southern California, I imagine the roots have to go deeper to get to the uh, water in the soil. But nevertheless, things can appear to be something that they're not. And I think there's a lot of Christians who can appear to be believers, but they're really make believers. Or they're certainly not rooted in their faith. So we can't judge by appearance. God looks on the human heart. Amen? And then there's this verse in 1 John chapter 2. I'm gonna, this is a little bit of a longer verse, so I'm going to read this for you. 1 John chapter 2, talking about, and again, I think this is a great example of the times in which we live. So the epistle of 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. And notice what John says here, again, writing to believers. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even so, now many Antichrists, plural, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So what he's saying is that there is this spirit. He calls it the spirit of Antichrist. That's not necessarily talking about that one world ruler that's going to come at the end of time. He does mention that, but it's really talking about a spirit. A general spirit that just fights against Christ and against the message of the gospel, but also we are the body of Christ. So it's not just an assault against Jesus. What good would that do? He's in heaven, totally unperturbed by the devil. But his body is here on the earth fighting this fight of faith. And so what does the devil do? He comes and tries to seduce and deceive. That's why you know, again, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The time will come, the Bible said in these latter times, well, some shall depart from the faith. What? Giving heed to, listening to, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. I, I shared recently about my friend who said, large international ministry, and he told me one time, he said, Randy, you know, my greatest temptation in life, he said, it's not the girls, the gold, and the glory, all the things they warned us about in Bible school. He said, my greatest temptation is just to quit. You know, it's, it's, I know just dealing with a little bit of international stuff. It is a headache. And yet, you know, he's dealing with it on a global level I can't even comprehend. And you've got to deal with all the struggles and the challenges, the cultural differences, you know, the financing issues, all this stuff he's got to deal with. He said, my greatest temptation is just to quit. Just get a little home office, just preach out of my house, go to, from little church to little church, have a little bitty ministry, and just kind of enjoy life. What is that? Well, really, if you think about it, it's a seducing spirit. You don't need to do all that for the kingdom. Just take it easy. Relax. You'll enjoy your life. And it sounds good, but if that's not the call of God on your life, if you're compromising the call to do something that's easier for you, that's a seducing spirit. We have to be you know, open to what God wants us to do and crucify the flesh, not just doing what we want to do. But then, of course, there's other seducing spirits. Like I said, some being seduced away from the faith, some being seduced according to the lust of the flesh. But we have to be on our guard. Right. And we have to level up. I mean, this is this is we're getting to the point where uh, I guess you could say intermediate mediocre Christianity will not face the challenges of our day. 
We've got to be committed. We've got to know what we're up to here. I love this verse of Scripture, Proverbs 24.10. Let me just read it to you. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, again, anything can look strong until it's tested. You know, again, talking about vehicles, they put these things through stress tests, right? You can have a vehicle that looks amazing on the showroom floor. In fact, I've heard funny conversations that automakers have had when they've got like a, maybe a prototype vehicle and they want to show it at the, you know, the car show, right? But it's still very much in the, I guess you'd say the baby stage of the development. So I've heard of times where they've literally had to like glue stuff on just to, so they so they can show it, right? But if you were to actually try to roll it off the stage, it'd fall apart. And so again, things can have the appearance of being strong or stalwart or lasting. I've said this before, if our Christianity isn't as good in a crisis as it is in times of relative ease, then we never really had a grip on it in the first place. True faith was made for the fire. And true faith will take you through anything. Again, we have to have those deep roots in God. And then there's a... I, I love this verse of Scripture. I, I had not... I was not familiar with this verse of Scripture until... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'd read it before, but really wasn't familiar with it until recent times. Jeremiah 12.5. And I love what this verse of Scripture says. <laughs> Listen to this. Jeremiah 12.5. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He said this. He said, If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? What he's really saying is, look, if you can't run with the guys on foot, how are you going to keep up with the guys on the horse? In other words, if you can't handle it when it's easy, what are you going to do when things really get tough? And I think what he's saying by us, you know, to us by extension is, look, if you can't handle it in free Christian America, where there's really not any intense persecution against our faith, what are we going to do when there's really a cost, right, to follow Christ, when they're really coming after us because of what we believe? So again, what do we have to do? We have to level up. And leveling up is not something we do just occasionally or, you know, do once. This is an ongoing lifestyle of continuing to grow in our faith so that we can meet the challenges that we face in this life. So I want to talk about three areas that we need to do a check. You know, again, on a, any kind of I, I don't know, equipment, whether it's a vehicle or, you know, a particular unit that you're working on, maybe on the job. Uh, a lot of these things have system checks, right? And it, like your car, you'll have a check engine light come on. It'll say, check this. It might be your brakes. Check your brakes. Why? Because you don't want a failure when you're using it, when it's under duress, right? You'd rather fix it while it's in the driveway, not while it's on the top of a mountain. So likewise, I think we need to realize that God's got some check engine lights uh, in our lives that we need to be aware of. So three areas that we need to check ourselves periodically, I think, just kind of doing a checkup from the neck up, seeing about our attitude, and even more so our heart. But number one, check your loyalty. To whom or to what are you committed? Let me read you a verse of Scripture. It's hard to believe that the Lord would have had to say this to a group of believers, but He did. James 4.4, He says this, Adulterers and adulteresses. Now listen, I've preached some hard messages, but I've never called the group I'm preaching to adulterers and adulteresses. But He's talking to this church. He says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Who do we want to please? Whose side do we want to be on? If we want the world to love us, we're going to have to set ourselves against the values of God. If we want God to love us, we're just going to have to resign ourselves to the fact that people in the world are probably not going to like us. Hollywood doesn't love the church. Have you noticed? Um, the things that they promote, you know, the liberal news media, you know, the things that we value, they mock. They call us bigots. They call us narrow-minded. They say, you're so narrow-minded you can see through a keyhole with both eyes. 
I say you're so open-minded, your brains are falling out. You know, it's just a, But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to be the friend of God, you're going to be at enmity of the world. But I know a lot of Christians who are trying to court the favor of the world and compromising their convictions and blending in. And that's, that's another question we need to ask ourselves. Are we standing out or are we blending in? You know, we don't hear much preaching about sanctification and holiness anymore. But those two words share the same Greek root. It's the Greek word hagios. And it basically means to be separated unto. To be set apart unto God and set apart from the world. So we have to truly separate and distinguish ourselves from this world. Are we distinct? Again, do we shine as lights or do we blend in? We can love the people in the world. God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. We love the people in the world, but we don't love worldliness. And we have to be on guard that those things don't begin to infiltrate our own consciousness. You know, if you're around it long enough, you'll become kind of tone deaf and you'll become desensitized, right? I mean, there's stuff that's on TV today that would have caused our grandparents to pass out, right? And that's just, it's commonplace now, commonplace. You watch late night TV on any cable, you don't have to be on the special channels. You can see stuff that, again, our parents would have never believed would have ever aired on TV. I mean... Lucy and Ricky used to have to sleep in separate beds on TV, right? And now, of course, anything is game. Why? Because it's just a degrading slowly of the moral character of our country. And as a result of that, it affects all of us if we're not careful. We have to maintain our distinction. Amen? Um, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a, a powerful verse of Scripture about this idea of what are we conforming to here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll look at verses 14 through 17. You know, Amos 3.3, 3, while you're looking at that, Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? In other words, to have any fellowship, there has to be a common ground. And if I'm going to walk in fellowship with God, I've got to get on common ground with Him. And the fact of the matter is, He's not going to come my way. He's not going to compromise me. I've got to go His direction. So again, we're to walk in the light as He is in the light. Now, you can only walk in the light that you have. But if we're violating light, in other words, not walking in the light that we have because we want to please the world, then we're compromising our walk with God. So the more I'm in agreement with God, the more I have fellowship with Him, but the more I'm going to break fellowship with the world. Not because I'm trying to alienate them, but just by walking with God, I'm going to set myself at odds. What? Well, Satan's a God of this world. Who's manipulating that value, right? It's the, the enemy of our soul. So the more I walk with God, the more I'm going to probably alienate those who have set themselves against they might respect me, but I'm not going to have much fellowship with them. Right? And I know a lot of people have been frustrated with that. Maybe they get saved and they're walking with the Lord. They try to go back and connect with their old buddies, but they don't have anything to talk about anymore. Our interests are different now, right? We, don't, we just don't have anything to talk about because they're going one direction. I'm going another direction. The thing is interesting, by the way, I'm sharing this this morning. I kind of forgot about this and it popped in my mind. But in the Old Covenant, if I'm not mistaken, it was against the law to work a, to yoke together an ox and a mule. There's a reason why. An ox is just subservient. It wants to do what the master is telling it. It's just a dumb animal. Kind of like a sheep, right? We're we're, we're supposed to be like that ox. Just subservient. Whatever the Lord wants to do. No drama. No no bucket or kicking. We're just going to plow the field. But what does that donkey do? That donkey's all drama. That's all he wants to do is buck and kick and bite and resist. And sometimes we're trying to do that in life alongside unbelievers. We're trying to walk with God and plow the field, as it were. And they're kicking and bucking and trying to pull us off course. And sometimes you just got to break the yoke. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what the Bible here says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice beginning verse 14. 
do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, people say, well, you know, yeah, you should marry an unbeliever. Not say anything about marriage. That certainly would be true, because that's the most intimate relationship you can have. But this could be any kind of yoking, right? I mean, you're probably, if you're a believer that's a passionate for God, your best friends are going to find the other believers that are passionate for God. You're not going to have a bunch of heathen, unbelieving, you know, worldly folk. Because what, what do you have in common with them? Nothing. So do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion, that also word, that word means fellowship as well. What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So light and dark. Christ and the devil, these are likened to the believer and the unbeliever. And the Bible said, we really don't have any fellowship with these guys. We don't have that common ground. Now, there's nothing wrong with having common interests to where you can reach the world, but you don't have a lot of common ground. Like I joked this morning, I said, you know, I was just at this event, right? I have a common interest with a lot of unbelievers that also like four-wheeling and off-roading. But I didn't go to a heroin convention, right? I went to an off-roading convention. That, see, that's where a lot of people miss it. They say, well, I want to be good buddies, my good friends with my buddies, so I'll go do the same things they do, hopefully being able to witness. And it never works. They always end up falling back into that old lifestyle. And I heard a minister say something one time that I thought was a great example. He said, you know, people ask the question, how can I still be a witness to my love, lost loved ones and not be tainted by that environment that they live in, walk in, you know, that kind of... He said, always create an environment where you can pull them over to you. In other words, bring them to your house, bring them to your church, bring them to your friends. Get them in a godly environment and let God work on them. But if you go into their environment, it's kind of stacked, the deck stacked against you. You've got a loaded environment that's going to be prohibitive from really letting the light shine. So always try. And of course, in the world, we're going to be in dark environments just going down the street, working our jobs. But always shine as a light. Never allow your witness to be compromised. And so he goes on in verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. That's that word sanctified. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So again, that idea of being separate. I remember years ago, I was watching a commercial by the president of eHarmony. Now, I don't know if you know much about eHarmony, but it's a dating site. But the president of eHarmony is a Christian, and he created that website to hopefully establish long-term relationships between people of like precious faith. That was his, I think, ultimate goal. And, of course, people that are not believers utilize the site and find one another as well. But, but his goal was to try to find people that are well-matched. And I remember the commercial that he gave. He said, yeah, we match people on 29 levels of compatibility. And I thought to myself, I don't even think I have 29 levels to me, uh, let alone, you know, 29 levels of compatibility with anybody else. But what he's trying to establish is this, is that the more common ground you find with someone, the deeper your communion can go, the deeper your relationship would go. And people say, well, opposites attract. Yeah, they do for a little while, and then they just annoy. You can't base a relationship on opposites. It has to be based on common foundation, particularly values and things like that, or our faith. And so, again, if we're going to have fellowship and relationship with God, we have to have that communion with Him, that common ground with Him. And as we do, as I said, that's going to take us away from the world. So, again, check our loyalty. We're, what are we devoted to? Is it to the world and our old friends, our buddies? Oh, well, I couldn't leave them. What kind of friend would I be? Well, if those friends drag you to hell, what good is that? Right? Or if they compromise your witness to where nobody can see that you're saved, what good is that? Yeah. If people have to question where your allegiances lie, that's, that's not a good sign. People ought to pretty much know. Well, you know that'll, that'll keep you from being invited to places. 
Uh, there have been many a time where in work environments or certain situations I could tell that I was left out of stuff because they knew Randy's not going to want to be involved with that. And that's just fine with me. When I was working in the oil fields or certain parties, I found out later went on on the property, I was not invited to. But that was really out of respect because they knew he's not going to want to come. And so that's fine. You know, praise God for that. Amen. We should be distinct. Number two, okay, number one was check your loyalty. Number two, check your company. And this kind of goes along with what I've been saying, but I think it needs to be said distinctly. Let me just read you a verse that we're very familiar with that I've talked about many times before. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, we've preached on this so many times before, but it's true. You rise or fall to the level of your associations. In fact, I was watching a financial guy. I wasn't really watching him on purpose. I was flipping through the channels. And he made an interesting statement. He said, you will make within $3,000 of the people that you associate with. In other words, if their income is $25,000 a year, you're going to make either twenty-five dollars or twenty-two. dollars And I thought, that's an interesting. But what he's saying is, you're, you're impacted by your environment. It makes sense if it's true naturally. If it's true spiritually, it's probably true economically. If you hang around people that know how to make money, pretty soon, probably... Your financial status is going to rise just through association and understanding that you're going to glean from those people. But like we say, friends are like elevators. They take you up or down. People are going to take you closer to Christ or going to draw you away from Christ. It's just simply the way that it is. One of my favorite verses, Proverbs 13.20 says, uh, He that accompanies with wise men will become wise, and the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's Proverbs 13.20. It's kind of a paraphrase, but that's essentially what it says. So if you want to be wise, what do you do? And you can say it this way, if you want to get good at something, yeah. What do you do? Hang around people that are already better than you, than normal. You know, that's why I watch all these off-roading shows. <laughs> because there's guys who've been doing this for years and years and years. I met a guy, I got to meet some of my heroes while I was over there. And there's one particular group, Maria laughs at me, but there was one particular group that I really love, and they do, oh man, you talk about absolute Hollywood quality. In fact, I always wonder, why aren't they on Netflix? Or why aren't they, you know, on, and they said, we could have been. They said, but we chose that venue of YouTube because it's accessible to everybody and we have total, complete creative control. We can do what we want. Nobody can tell us, no, don't do that, no, don't do that. So they stay there, but you know, it's an it's amazing movie quality stuff. And they just did a trip to Alaska and went to the Arctic Circle and all this kind of stuff. It's amazing. And you know, all their off-road vehicles and everything. Just incredibly uh wonderfully done. So I learned about production, I learned about vehicles, I learned about off-roading, just from watching that show. And through my association with those kinds of groups, now I know the language. I know At least I know the lingo. I'm getting baptized because I'm, I create an immersive environment in which I can understand some of these things. So I'm growing in my knowledge of off-roading. My kids are still amazed that I have any interest in anything automotive, autom- automotive whatsoever. If I could, I'd probably go to a Jeep school and learn how to repair Jeeps just so I have that knowledge. But nevertheless, you know, we get better through our associations. Again, we need to be around people who lift our game. You know, you think about the sports world. Of course, Tom Brady being, you know, the greatest quarterback maybe that's ever played the game. It's interesting that he has turned seventh-round draft picks into Hall of Famers. You know, one of his receivers, Julian, Julian Edelman, was a seventh-round draft pick. He was the MVP of the one of the Super Bowls they won recently. Not the one with Tampa Bay, but the last one he won with um, the Patriots. Julian Edelman, a seventh-round draft pick, was the MVP of the game. How? In the Super Bowl. How? Because if you're going to play a Tom Brady, you better catch that ball when he throws it to you. So you've got to lift your game. And we were watching the Golden State Warriors the other night, and there was one of the players on that team. We were so thrilled for him. His name's Kevon Looney. He's the center. And he's kind of one of those role players. He's never mentioned in the same breath of Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or Draymond Green, the stars that won all the championships. But he was actually there with them during that time. He won a couple of championships with them. But the other night, he had a 
He, he had the most points he ever scored in a game. He's got 21 points because usually he's a rebounder. He's, you know, blocking for Steph and he's, got, he's just a role player. But the other night, he was the MVP of the game. There's no doubt about it. He had all the reba- all these rebounds. He, he, he uh, scored 21 points. They said he hadn't scored 21 points in a game since his freshman year in college. And he had an MVP caliber game. And even the coach said something, whispered something to his ears, he came out and they were both smiling. I, I imagine he said something like, you were, you were the MVP of this game. And when they asked him and others, you know, how did this happen? This has to do with playing with champions. When you play with other champions, that championship DNA gets in you. And I began to think about it. We need some spiritual Hall of Famers in our life. Yeah. We need people in our lives that lift our game, that help us to see a different standard. You know, I was, I was mentioning it this morning, and I think it's so true. If you preach a strong message anymore... People want to say, man, that's a judgmental message. You know, I, people preach a strong message about getting right or whatever. That's a strong message. That's, that's judgmental. And I, I asked a question this morning. If you were to drop a plumb line and stand, you know, something you built up against that plumb line, and all of a sudden you realize that what you built is like this, would you say, man, that plumb line, it's just so judgmental? <laughs> no, you'd say, you're crooked, right? And you've got to straighten it up. And the fact of the matter is, the Word of God is a plumb line. And certain associations we have in life can serve as a plumb line. There have been times where when I wasn't right like I should have been, the moment I went to church, nobody had to say a word to me. Just being in that environment, I realized, I need to make some adjustments. I could sense it. I'm just off. I'm off your camera. I'm not plumb. And there's times we just need to be in the right environment so that we can be around those who help us straighten up, right? Level up, become a better version of ourselves. And then lastly, check your schedule. Check your loyalty, check your company, and check your schedule. I can tell anybody what they're interested in and what they value by checking two things. Their checkbook and their day timer. What you spend your money on and what you spend your time on is what you care about. I would not have driven to Flagstaff twice, you know, there and back, in what, a, you know, 36-hour period if I wasn't interested in off-roading, right? Or I've gone to conferences and stood out waiting to get in and hear Brother Hagen for three hours before so I could get a good seat. I would not have done that if it didn't, I spent money, I spent time. would have done that if that didn't matter to me, right? And the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Matthew 6, 21. So if you're putting your money behind it, and you're putting your time behind it, then it's something that's of value. So we just need to ask ourselves, where are we giving our time? Are we setting aside time for personal spiritual development? Are we creating a growth environment? I think our growth environment needs to be immersive. In other words, it can't just be church on Sunday. Um, You know, I I go to church on Sunday, obviously. Uh, But in addition to that, I have friends that I associate with that build me up spiritually. I watch things on YouTube or read books or the Bible or whatever. Spend time in the presence of God. Now, I can't tell you, I can't legislate to you a time. And I don't think that would be right to do. I think everybody has to take advantage of the white spaces in their life that they can and and devote some specific time to the things of God. I think there's something great about giving some early morning time to God because it's the first of our day. But not everybody's a morning person, moi included. (laughs) But we can, like with me, I drive, you know, somewhere between 8 to 10 hours a night. So I use a lot of that time feeding myself, building myself up, spending time in prayer. That's where one of these messages came from. It's spending that time with God, developing and creating for myself, best I can, a spiritual growth environment. So those are the three areas. And so checking our devotion, checking our company, checking our schedule. What are we giving ourselves to? It requires love. It requires time and de- excuse me, devotion. And it requires the right atmosphere of people around us. I found this to be true, that there have been times where I've outgrown some of the things that brought me to a certain place. You know, there's an old saying, dance with the one that brought you. And uh, I, I understand that. But there have been times where 
the people that brought me into something chose to stay at a certain level. And I realized if I'm going to grow beyond this, I've got to find a new crew. And it's not that you're leaving behind people or that I can't associate with you anymore. But you just realize some people are content at reaching a certain level. And if you're going to get beyond that, you've got to find a different group. You've got to find people that are going to inspire you, um, you know, compel you, encourage you, get on you. It's people you can be accountable to in the sense that if I'm going to be around these people, uh, or if I'm going to be in this environment, I've got to lift my game. And I think there's something so healthy about that. There have been certain teachers that God brought into my life. I'll never forget, even my spiritual father, Brother Hagan, there was a time when I was younger, thinking I knew everything before I knew anything at all. I read one of his books and thought he was nuts. Well, the fact was, he was just on a completely different planet than me. He was just so far above where I was, that to me, he sounded like a crazy man. Well, now, I look back and I realize, I was a crazy man, right? I just wasn't in a place where I could even hear what he was saying. I had so far to grow. And so we have to allow God, I think, to bring in and out of our lives... Those voices, right? There are certain ministries that are called to minister to people at a certain level. Maybe they bring them out of the nursery and into the playroom. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a, they help. But that's kind of where they stay. And that's the purpose of their ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But then there are other people who maybe take you to the next level. And I've found that throughout my life, there are voices that have come and gone. Influences that have come and gone. I can go back and listen to those old messages. I almost said tapes, because that's what they were back in those days. Are, are there cassette tapes? Um, I don't think I ever had eight tracks of preaching, but I did have cassette tapes. And I could go back and listen to all those tapes, and they wouldn't do for me now what they did for me then. Any more than eating baby food would do for me now what it did when I was a baby. I don't think I would enjoy that, right? But at the same time, there's stronger meats I eat today and can digest and do something with. And I've found that God has done that for me. He's brought people into my life that challenged me in a way that I could not have even heard or responded to when I was younger. But now it speaks to me in a different way. And there's been times, and I'll, you'll experience this, where you'll get excited about something you hear and try to share it with someone else, and they're just not in a place to hear it. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to make them hear that. They just have to grow to that place. Yeah. It's like trying to explain something to your five-year-old. Why can't we go to Disneyland every day? Well, we just, we just can't do that. Well, why not? It's fun, you know. And they just can't hear that. But as they grow older and assume more responsibility and mature a bit, to me, that would be torture, honestly, to go to Disneyland every day, jumping over strollers and fighting the crowds and waiting in line. That's what I see when I think of Disneyland. Not the five minutes you're on the ride, five minutes you're on the ride, it's the two hours you sit and spend waiting to get on there, right? It's the sunburn, it's the fatigue, it's all that kind of stuff. But everybody sees things through the lens of their own growth and development. And I realized later on, you know, I was thinking about this one day when I was preaching on process and, you know, growth. Everything important happens by way of process. People live for the event. The process is where we grow. For example, somebody might, you know, like you think about kids, they're all about events. They're waiting for the last day of school. They're waiting for the birthday party. They're waiting for the trip to Disneyland. These events, but those events don't change them. What changed them was all the process that happened in between. Getting up in the morning, brushing their teeth, taking a bath, eating their food, going to school, learning what they need to learn, becoming mature, responsible people. That happens every day. It's a boring process, but that's where we grow. So we don't grow through events. I, I know people that go from one Christian event to another and never grow. They're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because they won't take time to apply that knowledge in the day-to-day -day areas of life. They want to amass all this knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. What are you walking in? That's what's important, not what you know, right? And you can hobnob with all. That's why I say you'll never meet anybody less impressed with somebody's pedigree or name or, you know, I worked with so-and-so, brother. Well, good for you. It doesn't mean you're that person. It doesn't mean you're mature by association. 
You know, Gehazi, that was the servant of Elisha, went and stole from um, Naaman the Syrian and ended up with the leprosy that Naaman had because he was a jerk. <laughs> and, and that didn't make him, just because he served Elisha, didn't make him Elisha, right? And you know, just because we're in church, like Corey Tim Boomstadt said, I don't know if he really said this or if it was just in the movie, but I remember seeing The Hiding Place years ago, and Corey Tim Boom was complaining to her dad about somebody that was supposed to be a Christian and wasn't acting like one, and he said, honey, just because a mouse is in the cookie jar, don't make it a cookie. And I think sometimes, you know, just being, just because you stand in the garage, don't make you a Buick, right? And I think some people have been in the church, but they haven't got enough of the church down in them, right? The difference between going to church and being in the church, but nevertheless... Uh, we need to level up. Amen. All of us in life. Uh, I know I do. Every time I preach, it's usually God speaking to something that awakens a need in me. And I find that I, 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 I doubt very seriously that I'm the only one in the room that needs to hear those things. Usually God speaks to all of us in something that we can relate to and see the need of. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your mercies. We thank you for the opportunity to level up, to face the challenge, to check ourselves in these areas, Father God, of our loyalty, our devotion. Uh, what are we associated with? What, what common ground do we have with you and with those that are pursuing you? What have we embraced and clung to that's still of the world that maybe we need to let go? And also, Father, checking our company. Who are the people with whom we associate? How much are they drawing us to Christ? Or how much do we just hang around them because it's easy? It takes no challenge. It doesn't really do anything to foster growth in us. And then, of course, our schedules, Father God. Are we checking our schedule? Are we looking at the time investment we're making to grow spiritually? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we reading the Bible? Are we fellowshipping with people that are passionate about the things of God? Are we sharing our faith? Are we doing things that contribute for our growth? So help us, Father God, to examine these areas, and I'm sure there's so many others we could talk about, but just for starters, Father God, as we look at these areas of our life, may we rise up, may we grow up, may we level up, may we become the people that you've called us to be, that we can be the agents of change in the world. We give you thanks and praise for it, Father. And Lord, as we're praying, I just pray, Father, Father, uh, for the people watching on line, Father God, that you administer life and healing to them. If there's anybody watching and they don't know Christ, the Bible said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't have to be fancy or flowery. You just have to believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he bore your burden on Calvary, that you might be saved. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I turn management of my life over to you. Come into my heart. Change me. Make me brand new. Be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you, and you can be born again. And Father, we pray for those watching that you would move upon their hearts. Bless them. Minister healing and life to them. Encourage them, Father God, especially in these dark, difficult days. May they find companions who will help to encourage them along the way. For the Bible says two are better than one. Yes. We pray, Father God, they would find that company yes. of people that would inspire them, Father God, that they might be encouraged in their devotion and yes. give more and more of their time and uh, uh, to you and to growing in you. We give you yes. thanks and praise for it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for tuning into our broadcast. Again, for more information about Connecting Point Church, you can go to our website at connectingpc.org. To find out more about Connecting Point Communications and our international digital outreach ministry, go to randylanebunch.org.